This show is made possible entirely by the support of the listeners. To find out what you can do to help, check out the support box at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast, with clips today from The Young Turks, Le Show, This American Life, The Daily Show, and Real Time with Bill Maher. The bonus clip for our iPhone app users is a follow-up clip today from The Young Turks. Well, a ceremonial usher and a member of the elite choir in the St. Peter's Basilica have been caught in a gay prostitution ring. Yeah, who would have figured? Um, all right, here are the things that I love about the story. One of them is in an elite choir, and they didn't get that he was gay. Okay, the other one is a gentleman usher. Uh, no, he's a ceremonial usher. And they're like, the ceremonial usher is gay? And the, the, I believe it's the usher. He is part of the elite gentleman of his holiness. Come on, dude. Come on, come on, dude. Wear funny dresses. They call themselves the gentlemen of his holiness. And they're ceremonial ushers and part of the choir. That doesn't mean everybody in the choir is gay. Of course, all right? But you shouldn't be overwhelmingly surprised. They're not allowed to have sex with anybody. Of course something is going to go wrong, okay? I mean, whether it's straight sex or gay sex, at some point they're going to blow. Sorry. Okay, hold up, hold up. Uh, did you? Uh, oh, you're so, there's two different articles on this. My article has the guys that he was looking for. Okay, so the the ceremonial usher, the gentleman of this holiness, etc., calls up the other dude and he's like, "Look, hook me up with a couple of boys, right?" And he wanted two black Cuban lads. <gasps> he was very specific. Okay, mm -hmm. and he's like, "Oh, give me two black Cuban lads. Mm, I hope they are gentlemen." Okay, and then. Uh, he wanted a former male model from Naples, man, that's specific, and a rugby player from Rome. <laughs> I love the specificity of that. And then I will take a cricket player from Pakistan and a ping ponger from Xinjiang. He wants to taste every flavor out there. <laughs> I guess so. And the creme de la creme. <laughs> and so the Vatican is outraged. They can't believe the guy in the funny dress turns out to be gay. And uh, so, of course, he's in a world of trouble. He's going to get kicked out, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a prostitution ring. They didn't see this coming. Look, stop getting surprised when we have sex scandals coming outside of places where you're not supposed to be having sex. Because we're human beings. We have the sex anyway, whether we're allowed to or we're not allowed to. And the more you try to bottle it up, the crazier it's going to be when it springs out. Next thing you know, somebody's calling up for two black Cuban lads. Lads. <laughs> lads. <laughs> All right. So our condolences to the Vatican. I hope they recover from this sex scandal. Uh, of course, they say that uh, gayness is, um, oh, homosexual acts are, quote, intrinsically disorder. Mm. So uh, apparently when you ask for a male rugby player from Rome, you are intrinsically disordered. Good luck with that ideology. See how it turns out for you. But you know what? On the upside, I bet this is the last gay priest they find.
can you tell me? The head of the Roman Catholic Church in Ireland will be pressed to quit if he refuses to resign over the growing child abuse scandal there. Nothing less than Cardinal Sean Brady's resignation will diminish fury at the highest levels in Rome over his role in the cover-up of the pedophile priest scandal in Ireland. The Vatican's mad at him. The Northern Ireland Assembly prepared last night to order an official investigation into child abuse in Northern Ireland. This is Northern Ireland, after details emerged of more attacks on children by members of the clergy. So both Ireland and Northern Ireland spread it around. Brady is spending the days before Easter considering his position. (laughs) A lovely Britishism. I'm considering my position, which means my ass is on fire. Although there is no canonical procedure to remove him, those damn procedures, if he refuses to go voluntarily, pressure from the Holy See will make his departure inevitable. Ireland needs a fresh start, a source in Rome said. By clinging on, he's putting his own interests before the churches. Unquote. The Vatican referring to the cardinal in Ireland. The inquiry would be similar to that which uncovered a shocking litany of historic crimes in the Republic of Ireland last year. An official investigation is expected to cost up to $60 million and take no longer than five years. By announcing an apostolic visitation to the Irish Church last week, the Pope has effectively placed it in receivership. All right. That's Ireland. Also from the Sunday Times... Pay me a dollar for reading this. New revelations about the Pope's alleged role in covering up accusations of sexual abuse by Catholic clergy has exposed the Vatican to the risk of lawsuits brought by victims around the world. To quote Wolf Blitzer's inflection. Around the world. Mounting anger at the Catholic Church's failure to act on predatory priests in the U.S., Europe, and Mexico has plunged the papacy into an institutional crisis described by an American Catholic newspaper last week as the largest in century, in centuries. This week, the Vatican denounced the aggressive persistence of critics who were alleging to personally involve the Holy Father in the matter of abuse. A spokesman told Vatican Radio the Pope's record was above discussion. That's pretty far up there. But the talk in Catholic circles was of little else, as the Pope's former life as Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, Archbishop of Munich, came under intensifying scrutiny. Last week it was alleged that as the head of the Vatican office monitoring priestly misconduct, Ratzinger failed to punish Father Lawrence Murphy, who abused up to 200 boys at a Wisconsin school for the deaf. Instead of having defrocked or reported, instead of being defrocked or reported to police, Murphy remained a priest until his death in 1998, buried in his uh, vestments, I'm told. We're talking about a man who, before he became Pope, knew what Murphy was doing and did nothing about it, said Donald Marshall, a mechanic who claims Murphy, Father Murphy assaulted him in 1997 when he was 13. The reports coincided with the burgeoning German row over Father Peter Heilerman, Heilerman, sorry, a Bavarian priest who received therapy for pedophilia in Ratzinger's diocese and then was transferred to a new parish where he continued molesting boys. The Vatican insisted this week Ratzinger had no knowledge, Ratzinger, now the Pope, had no knowledge of the decision to reassign Hullerman, despite reports that the then Archbishop was sent a memo with details of the case. 
Hollerman was eventually convicted of sex abuse in 1986. Adding to the Vatican's embarrassment, the acknowledgement late this week that a, by a prominent Catholic order that its Mexican founder, the late Marcial Maciel de Goyaro, that's correct, Marcial Maciel, Maciel, Marcial Maciel de Goyado, known as Father Maciel, had not only molested trainee priests, but it also fathered several children. Well, you got to get them from somewhere. It was largely on Ratzinger's initiative that the Vatican reopened a moribund investigation into Maciel's activities as leader of the Legion of Christ. Maciel was a close friend of Ratzinger's predecessor, Pope John Paul II, who's considered a candidate for sainthood, but whose reputation may also be stained by the spreading sex scandal. All the latest cases involve complaints that the Vatican failed to come clean about how it handled allegations of criminal conduct. The German justice minister has complained of a Vatican wall of silence around the issue. The Pope's alleged role in the Wisconsin case emerged only when litigants who claimed to be victims of abuse obtained internal church documents as part of their lawsuit. Now U.S. lawyers in other cases are determined to sue the Vatican for access to material that may shed light on relations between Rome and American bishops and the extent to which there may have been a policy to hush up abuse by priests. Says William McMurray, a lawyer who represents victims in a Kentucky case, I want to know what the Vatican knew and when they knew it. As a sovereign state, the Vatican has immunity from U.S. lawsuits, yet federal appeals courts in Oregon and Kentucky have allowed abuse cases to proceed. The U.S. Catholic Church has already paid out more than $1.1 billion to victims since, ni- uh, since 2004. But um, money recompen- recompensation is not enough for those who represent the victims. They say the church should be forced to explain why so few priests were punished for decades of abuse. And it's not just deaf boys in Wisconsin. Latest allegations of abuse aimed at another Catholic institution are getting closer to Rome. On Friday, Italian television aired allegations from men who as children attended a Catholic school for the deaf in Verona, where they say they were repeatedly abused. At first, the local bishop accused them of lying until one of the staff admitted the allegations were true. The bishop then ordered an internal investigation, which found some abuse occurred, albeit a fraction of what had been alleged. Advocates for the self-described victims, however, said the diocese investigation was fatally flawed because no one interviewed the former students. In a signed statement, 67 former pupils at the School for the Deaf described sexual abuse, pedophilia, and corporal punishment from the 50s through the 80s. They named 24 priests, brothers, and lay religious men at the Institute for the Deaf. Only now, a year after the Italian case became public, is the, is the Vatican telling the diocese to interview the victims to hear their testimony, according to the Associated Press. And the Vatican strongly defended its decision not to defrock that American priest, Father Murphy, of, uh, accused of molesting some 200 deaf boys in Wisconsin. Documents show that in the mid-90s, two Wisconsin bishops urged the Vatican office, led by then-Cardinal Ratzinger, now the Pope, to let them hold a church trial against Father Murphy. The bishops admitted the trial was coming years after the alleged abuse, but argued that the deaf community in Milwaukee was demanding justice from the church. An American protester 
I'm forgetting the American Bank. Despite the extensive and grave allegations against Murphy, Ratzinger, as deputy at the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, ruled that the alleged molestation had occurred too long ago. Statute of limitations, babe. And that Murphy, then ailing and elderly, should instead repent and be restricted from celebrating Mass outside of his diocese. See, they came down hard on him. He did repent, by the way. You'll be relieved to know. The official Cardinal Tarciso Bertone ordered the church trial halted after Father Murphy wrote Ratzinger a letter saying he was ill, infirm, and simply want to live out the time that I have left in the dignity of my priesthood. Unquote. Father Murphy. Deaf boys in Italy. Deaf boys in Wisconsin. It's a thing. 150 deaf boys. Oh, this could get tight. A few dozen in the morning. And all the rest at night. Deaf boys can't hear me coming. Deaf boys, don't you dare call it slumming. Might be a chink in my priestly poise. But how can I resist deaf boys? Now if I had a deaf boy Each day of the year 365 That would be dear How many deaf boys Have there actually been? Why not ask how many Dance on the head of a pin The world is full of deaf boys I'm only one man. All that God expects is do all that you can. Death boys can't hear me coming. Death boys got me hymning and humming. A shepherd with a closet full of toys. Let's hear it for those death boys. Check one. Confession. This Easter week, Pope Benedict has been facing a lot of criticism with allegations that he didn't adequately discipline priests who were accused of sexual abuse back before Pope Benedict was Pope, back when he was an archbishop and a cardinal. So we've decided to revisit a story that we first broadcast in 2003 about a young American priest who was sent out on a series of jobs by church administrators to squelch some scandals, scandals not too different from the ones that are surfacing in the news right now. But spending time out among the people who he's supposed to be deceiving, the priest finds it harder and harder to keep doing his job. Carmarziali tells the story from Los Angeles. Patrick Wall was just where he wanted to be at 26. He was a monk, studying theology at St. John's Monastery in rural Minnesota. He lived in a quiet room facing the lake. He looked forward to a life of study and prayer. It was late summer, 1991. The first day that school started out, pretty... Uneventful, went to morning prayer at 7 o'clock like normal, uh, went down for breakfast like normal, went back up to my room, uh, was literally brushing my teeth when there was a knock on my door, which is extremely uh, out of the ordinary. And it, it was Abbot Jerome Tyson. Uh, well, the abbot's a very quiet guy, and he usually never went up on that floor of the monastery. So he uh, he says, um, may I come in? <laughs> 
Yes, Father Abbott, no problem. So he comes in, sits down, and, you know, I've got my books out. I've I've got class in 10 minutes, um, you know, what's up? And he said, well, Father Dan Ward uh, has told me that uh, you would be a good person for this particular job, and we have a situation over in uh, St. Mary's Hall that um, we need to, to uh, be a faculty resident. The faculty resident is the live-in counselor at the college dorm. The campus at St. John's includes a university. I said, well, you know, I, you know, I'd love to be a faculty resident someday. I think that's a, you know, it's a great idea. And he said, no, today. And um, when I asked Abitrome specifically what it was for and what was going on, he said, well, I, I can't tell you that. We had numerous sexual abuse cases that had been popping up. So ultimately, that there's only one conclusion that can be drawn, that there was a, an allegation that they must have thought somewhat credible or probable, and they needed to pull that particular monk, and off I went. That afternoon, Wall moved his stuff out of his room and into the freshman dorm. His instructions were simple. Put the kids at ease and don't say anything about the monk you're replacing. He organized a pizza party for the students. He told them he was taking over as faculty resident, but that he couldn't say why. There were no questions. Wall didn't know it then, but he was being tested. Unfortunately for him, he passed. His dream was to be a monk as he understood monks to be, devout and learned men who live in monasteries. By showing a knack for damage control, he put himself on a less spiritual path. Before long, the abbot appointed him to a sexual abuse response team and sent him to the Church of St. Elizabeth's in the town of Hastings. He was replacing a pastor who'd been withdrawn for what the monastery called a credible allegation. Wall arrived at St. Elizabeth's on February 2, 1993. Replacing a pastor is not easy. People in a parish tend to get attached to the priest. Replacing a disgraced pastor is harder. A lot of people believe their priest can do no wrong, and they are not shy about telling his replacement. They're very forward and forthright and and angry. And they said, you know, Father, I'm really sad that you're here. I'm really uh, sorry that you had to come because we, we really liked, you know, the other monk. And uh, we don't think uh, he should have been removed. And that was it. And I said, uh, I'm, I'm really sorry that that particular monk had to be removed, and uh, I'm here because my abbot asked me to be here. I tried to be as uh, candid and simple as possible, but uh, I, simp- I, 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 I felt taken back, and I, I felt sad from the very beginning. And uh, I didn't enjoy that experience. At first, Walt tried to raise morale. He told parishioners what he himself had been told, that the alleged abuse took place A, some time ago, and B, somewhere else. But it wasn't long before victims at St. Elizabeth's began coming forward. They would show up unannounced at the rectory or in the church after Mass and ask to speak to him in private. Then they would start with a tiny revelation. It's unforgettable. It's absolutely unforgettable when, uh, when they start to tell you. And they only tell you a very small, cryptic, little things. They're code words for everything. And they, they kind of broach the subject to see what you're going to do with it. 
and to see if you're going to actually believe them. And, and, and you know, obviously I'm 27 years old. I'm not exactly sure what to do with it. Emotionally, I really had no idea what to do with it. So how did you deal with it when the victim or victims came forward and told you about what had happened? Do you try to comfort them? Do you try to tell them that, I mean, do you, what do you do? Do you try to restore their faith in the church or do you just listen and write up a, a complaint and send it on? You don't even write up a complaint. Basically, you you, you get a, a few of the facts and then you pass that on, you know, to the, to the diocese. Um, and honestly, it, it's... Unfortunately, it's easy to deal with because these people never go to church again because they really view that person as representing God. So it's hard for them to to publicly ever celebrate or to uh, practice their faith again. Mm-hmm. So they, they just disappear, honestly. Did you ever wonder whether you should make a special effort when they came to you to uh, beyond beyond the effort that you might make to convince somebody else to come back to the church to to do something more for these victims or to offer them counseling or something to try to make up for what had happened? It's a it's a difficult situation because you really need to remain neutral, and your natural inclination, especially as priests, is to be sympathetic and to heal. But there's no way that you're going to be allowed uh, to be part of the healing process because ultimately you're you're part of the defendant. You are the the institution that um, that brought about the hurt, and so you really have to um, you have to put your professional hat on and and keep an arm's distance. Wall survived the scandal at St. Elizabeth's, and he helped his superior survive it too. He never told parishioners about the allegations in their parish, and the stories he was hearing in private never became public. After serving a year at St. Elizabeth's, Wall thought he would come back to the monastery. But near the end of his term, he received a letter from the abbot instructing him to report to another parish, St. Bernard's. The monk there had been having an affair and paying for it with church money. This was not the assignment Wall had in mind, but part of him was flattered. I felt pretty good about it because all of a sudden, you know, I'm 28 years old. I'm an administrator of a parish. I'm being turned loose as the boss. Uh, that's a compliment as far as I'm concerned. I'm, and I, I, I really felt I was doing the right thing. Not long after Wall arrived at St. Bernard's, an agent from the IRS knocked on his door. The agent presented a bill, payable immediately, for $600,000 in back taxes, interest, and penalties for undeclared profits from a church-run lottery. The business manager was not available to answer questions because he had been the other person in the affair and had been removed along with the monk. Wall had to take a crash course in bookkeeping to pay the IRS. The rest of his time at St. Bernard's, Wall did what every priest does. He celebrated Mass, performed weddings and funerals, baptized babies, and he heard confessions, including those of other priests. Despite the headlines, the percentage of priests who have abused minors is relatively low. Celibacy is another story. In a recent Los Angeles Times poll, only one-third of priests said they do not waver from the celibate life. After a while, 
Wall stopped thinking of broken vows as something foreign to his world. You know, once you see enough people fall and once you hear enough confessions of, of different priests, you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, am I really any different? And the chances of me maintaining a celibate way of life without failure along the way are so low that ultimately the um, either I have to change or the system needs to change. What about... There must be a lot of priests who believe in being priests and have decided that the rule of celibacy is nonsense and so are willing to lead a double life of sorts. Was that, um, that wasn't something that you considered? No, uh, that's really not my personality. I'm, I'm a terrible liar. Oh, I've, uh, I turn red. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm really bad. And, and I had seen priests who maintained heterosexual relationships you know with uh, with women and i saw the effects of it because it they it's it's a life of contradiction because the relationship is there it's exclusive but you can't profess it and and everyone around you knows what's going on and that's not happiness that that's not a, a true coming together um i just couldn't see myself doing that that's just not me You can now support this podcast as easily as by shopping online. The next time you need to make a purchase of just about anything, simply visit bestofleft.com and use our Amazon.com search box to find what you're looking for. The search box is located right on the side of the website. You can't miss it. When you make your purchase, we get a little commission. It's just another effortless, completely free way for you to help keep the show going strong. Thanks for your support. Obviously, we're going to check in uh, right now with a little news from the Catholic Church. Whenever I do, I like to sip from my grail to catch up from news from the Vatican. That's better. Okay, proceed. A Vatican choir singer now at the center of a scandal, accused of running a gay sex network, providing male prostitutes to one of Pope Benedict's ushers. shocking the pope has ushers i think it's pretty obvious which seat is his really needs an usher all right apparently the choir member in question would supply young men some from the vatican choir itself to vatican ushers like angelo balducci a fact discovered during an investigation of balducci on an unrelated corruption wiretap april 22nd 2008 Thomas Ginadu Ehiem, the choir singer. If you are free, three or four situations that can be good, very, very good. Two black Cuban men, really tall, tall, tall. Maybe at the Vatican, the good China's up high. I don't know. <laughs> By the way, can you imagine the Italian police listening in on Balducci's phone call looking for corruption and hearing that stuff? Here's, here's my impression very quickly. Hey, there's nothing on the corruption yet, is there? Hey, what, 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 what's a blumpkin? <laughs> a steamer de Cleveland, what? <laughs> really? All right. 
I'm actually disappointed in you for clapping at that. <laughs> Disturbing news to be sure, but on the bright side, at least this scandal didn't involve priests molesting kids. Uh, that scandal broke a few days later. The Pope is facing allegations that when he was an archbishop in Germany, he tried to cover up for a pedophile priest. What? It cannot be. I'm sure when the Catholic Church found out about uh, this offense, they were swift in doling out their punishment. Congressman Patrick Kennedy of Rhode Island says that the head of the Providence Roman Catholic Diocese has barred him from taking communion because of Kennedy's support for abortion rights. I'm sorry, that's the Catholic Church punishing Patrick Kennedy for being pro-choice. Uh, still, uh, decisive action. I, I can't wait to see how actually the Catholic Church is punishing the ones who are really at fault. Authorities at the Sacred Heart of Jesus School have expelled a preschooler and a kindergartner because their parents are lesbians. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That's the Catholic school uh, teaching children an important lesson about who they chose to have as their parents. <laughs> anyway, what, what punishment is the Pope handing down for the priest who abused those kids in Germany? The priest at the center of a German sex abuse scandal at Pope Benedict. Benedict's former diocese has been suspended more than 20 years after the church first convicted the priest of sexually abusing minors. Or as it's known at the Vatican, the fastest grievance address in church history. St. Bernard's, the assignments kept coming. The next one was an affair between a priest and a nun. After that, a new parish where a teacher had abused a student and the priest was living with his housekeeper. Four years, four parishes, four scandals. There are good, dedicated priests out there, but they're not the ones who get replaced. By the very nature of his job, Walt was acquiring a skewed and depressing view of the priesthood. Did you ever ask not to be given those assignments? Yeah. I did, and I, I, I specifically asked to be able to come back to the prep school and teach. Um, but the, the needs of the monastery were, were so great at that point that, again, it was only going to be another year. I was only going to have to go to St. Bernard's for another year. So it's, uh, it sounds like a bad construction deal, you know. Two more weeks, give me two more weeks, and we'll be done. Uh, and it, it just kept going on and kept going on. Meanwhile the monks he replaced were getting exactly what Wall himself had asked for. They were going back to the monastery, permanently. I'd run across them at community meetings and whenever we had chapter votes and, and all that, and it's, uh, it's hard not to be judgmental. The other thing I, I found hard was that my whole career path was uh, driven by other people's mistakes. And that's the last thing I ever expected in monastic life. I really expected to um, work in a parish for a year, to go off to grad school, come back, teach, coach football at the university, and, and to live a you know a pretty darn good life, uh, a balance between prayer and teaching and, uh, and 
you know, working as a as a teacher. So they changed my my career path. They changed my um, uh, my whole trajectory in life. Without fully realizing it, Wall had been initiated into a brotherhood of priests known informally as fixers or cleaners. They replace problem priests, they hide things in the archives, they reassure the faithful. In short, they make it all go away. Visually, he was perfect for the job. He was barrel-chested, a former offensive lineman on the St. John's football team. He was young and friendly. He was the anti-stereotype of a troubled monk. The abbot couldn't have found a better prospect if he had picked a model out of a catalog. But Wall did more than just PR. He became familiar with the law of the church called canon law, specifically with the different archives canon law sets up for storing and hiding information. First is the historical archives, which is just the names, dates, people, those kinds of things. Then you have the secret archives. The the secret archives, I mean, is that literally what they're called, the secret archives? I mean, why were they set up? Well, they're set up for the protection of individuals, so that the bishop has the responsibility to take things that would be considered scandalous, things that would be con- that might hurt individuals' reputations, and to be able to place them there so they wouldn't easily um, be exposed. Okay, when you call it the secret archives, though, it makes it sound sinister. It makes it sound like it's there for the protection, to really protect the church. I'm not saying that's what it is, but that's how it sounds. I mean, what really is the purpose of these so-called secret? Why can't everything be in the personnel records and then some items just be labeled confidential or whatever? Well, you got to give Rome credit. I mean, they have wonderful procedure. This this is things that have worked out for centuries, and. That has always been the secret to one of the defenses of the church. If if you don't know what you're asking for, they don't have to produce it. Did you ever, when you were working for the church, cleaning up these situations of abuse and having to tell parishioners some of the facts, but not all of the facts about what was going on. Did you ever feel complicit in the cover-up of all of this? I have some regrets, but um, I think I did it in, in good faith because I, I uh, as I was taught and as I believe that that was my role to, to help the church in the long run and to uh, to be obedient to what I was asked to do um, and it's it's only in later on that as I had greater experience that uh, I couldn't support it any longer and I, I felt that if I was going to stay I was going to not only support it but I was going to get deeper into it um, I was going to be asked to do other assignments to uh, follow pedophiles I was going to be asked to be on the finance council to try to figure out ways to mitigate uh, the huge financial costs of childhood sexual abuse by priests and religious. And I remember having an epiphany and uh, sitting on the porch at St. Mary's in Stillwater. And um, that's when I came to the conclusion that this is pretty much going to be my career path. I'd be there for another year or two as the administrator, and then I would go on to, to another assignment. And I just couldn't do it any longer. After four years of deceiving the faithful about the extent of priestly misconduct, 
of protecting the institution over the health and welfare of the victims, of covering for the perpetrators and letting the problem fester, Patrick Wall decided he was on the wrong side. On July 31st, 1998, Wall quit the priesthood. He was 33 years old. Leaving was difficult. If you want to leave honorably, you need permission, which doesn't come easily or quickly. It took more than a year in Wall's case. Then, once you're out, there are practical challenges, like trying to get a job with a Master of Theology on your resume. In the end, it was his experience as a fixer that translated best to the real world. Wall read an op-ed in the LA Times by John Manley, an attorney who sues the church on behalf of sexual abuse victims. He essentially separated himself amongst all the different attorneys in saying that we need to protect the sheep and not the shepherd. It's not the, the, the problem of the victims. It's not the problem of the particular perpetrators, per se, or some particular issue like homosexuality or, or whatever. The problem is within the institution itself. By this point, Wall was convinced that lawsuits were the only way to reform the church. He called Manley and offered to help. Soon they were on the phone constantly. Wall took him step by step through church bureaucracy. Manley was amazed. John didn't know um, all the different documents that are out there. And then John would be working on things, and he'd call me up and, and say, Dude, what do I do with this? And what does this mean? Where am I supposed to do with it? What are other things? Can I? Where else can I look? And I remember, uh, I think he was quite surprised when I showed him the penal code of canon law and exactly what we need to ask for. He, had, uh, he just couldn't believe it that it was there, that they would um, have that, that level of sophistication. started working for Manley's law firm full-time in October of 2002. Using his knowledge of Latin and Italian, he translates and interprets church records. He helps the firm identify and request key documents, like psychological assessments of priests from the secret archives. The fact that he switched sides, that he's fighting the church, doesn't seem to trouble him. He believes he's doing what God wants him to do, which is what he's always believed. There's another part to Wall's job at the firm, which doesn't have anything to do with case law. Last week, he stayed on the phone with a man for an hour and a half, listening to him talk about the priest who abused him and who might still be hurting other people. Wall finds himself talking to victims about all kinds of things, everything he was not allowed to talk about before, back when he was a priest. I feel I really do pastoral work when I'm working with victims every day, on every single issue. Before, you were part of a holy order. And now you're working with a bunch of lawyers, and uh, it's hard to know. It's hard to know these days where priests belong on the ethical ladder, but most people know exactly <laughs> where to put lawyers. And um, so it's just it's odd to hear you talk about this work being more fulfilling in some ways than what you were doing before. Well, we're dealing with people at the lowest ebb of where they're at. Um, they're dealing with the greatest pain they've ever experienced, and. One of the greatest things that we find is that they can no longer participate in the sacramental life of the church because of the seven sacraments. The one thing that's really clear is that it takes a priest to administer the sacrament. And every sacrament is either through touching 
or it's through breath, through words. It's in close proximity to the priest, and that is the symbol of their abuse. So we're we're, uh, we're dealing with um, some of the, the most damaged people within within the church, and it is a it's a very fulfilling ministry I find in being pastoral to uh, to be with them because honestly they're we're one of the few symbols of of hope that they have. Patrick Wall is married now. He and his wife have a two-year-old daughter who they plan to send to Catholic school. They all go to Mass every Sunday. Carl Marziali attends Mass with his family in Los Angeles. Patrick Wall, however, no longer does. Since we first aired this story in 2003, Patrick has worked on nearly a 1,000 sexual abuse cases involving priests and co-authored a book called Sex, Priests, and Secret Codes, the Catholic Church's 2,000-year paper trail of sexual abuse. He says after all this, he no longer believes that the Catholic Church has the capacity to change. His daughter, now eight years old, is not enrolled in Catholic school. scandals. Boy, did the Catholic Church step into one again. We got major uh, pedophilia again uh, uncovered in Europe this time. And apparently the guy who did a lot of covering up for that happens to be the Pope now. And back in 2001, he was in charge of uh, adjudicating this for the Vatican. And he basically away slaps on the wrist. He's like, you know what, this guy, one of the punishments was, no, 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 we're not going to fire him, we're not going to excommunicate him, we're not going to do any of that. But he cannot attend a church outside of his own parish. Ooh, don't hurt him, dog, don't hurt him. Okay, so now it turns out not only was Ratzinger involved in, you know, what some might call covering it up uh, on the European side earlier, uh, others would say, you know, handling uh, Vatican affairs secretly, <laughs> okay? Um, but also there's a case uh, on uh, in America, in Milwaukee, back in 1973. That is also linked to Ratzinger telling the guy, slap on the wrist, bad boy, bad boy. You, As Larry Craig would say, you've been a naughty boy, a bad naughty boy. Don't do it again. And then there's all these, like, earnest questions about how did they not see this? And how could they have avoided this tragedy? Dude, they saw it. Of course they saw it. What are you, I mean, come on. What are you, kids? They saw it. They covered it up because they won't, They didn't want to create controversy. And they didn't want to question, you know, anybody questioning the Vatican. If you find out, you know, all these priests are actually diddling the kids, how much faith are you going to have in the priests and in the Catholic Church? Gee, I wonder why they covered it up. <laughs> and they didn't want to pay 
uh, any settlements in, et cetera, et cetera. And could they have seen it coming that these priests were uh, molesting the kids? And that's as old as time. You tell me, you set up a system where you tell uh, people, okay, you can't have sex at all. But at the same time, I'm going to give you power, almost absolute power, over all these people, including kids, who will listen to you because they've been taught to listen to you obediently without questioning you. But don't worry, they won't abuse that power. <laughs> Come on, man. Look, I mean, look, look at the whole history of the Catholic Church. I mean, it's like people think that history started 20 years ago. Okay, I mean, look back. The popes, I mean, you want to talk about sex scandals. You want to go to the old popes. Look, they were basically rulers. They were kings. They were emperors. Did they ever care about the religion? It's a joke. They use that power and they abuse that power to start wars, to do any kind of sex they like, while preaching hypocrisy. It's as old as time, It's and it's not just... The Catholic Church, of course, it's all the religions. You give people a near absolute power, you teach people to listen to them without question, and then you say to them, hey, bottle them up, don't have sex. Well, that thing's going to blow. And of course it did. And did Ratzinger help cover it up? Of course he did. Now, <laughs> but the excuses for it are awesome. And the best one comes from Bill Donahue. Uh, he is uh, with the Catholic League. He's the president of the Catholic League. And he's going to go on Larry King's program here. And you're not going to believe what he said. All right. Why was it? Apparently, it wasn't uh, pedophilia. All right. Let's let Bill explain. William Donahue, is it going to get better before it gets worse? Oh, it's, it's already gotten better. The timeline of the damage was the mid-60s to the mid-80s. But uh, Ratzinger has taken a number of important steps. It's harder for practicing homosexuals to get into the priesthood. And that's a very good thing. Uh, like Father said before, we've only had six cases of allegations in the last year or so. Uh, I I'm very in encouraged about the future. I just hope that the other religions and the public schools will look at the Catholic Church today as a model of excellence because we have a lot to teach them. Thomas, uh, Bill is good, but you cannot link homosexuality to a pedophilia crisis in the Catholic Church. It's not a pedophilia. So Most of the victims are postpubescent. You gotta Bill, get your facts I, straight. A, I'm sorry. I'm, if I'm the only one who's gonna deal with facts tonight, then that'll be it. The vast majority of the victims are post-pubescent. That's not pedophilia, buddy. That's homosexuality. Bill, I, I don't think, as a, as a person of faith, that you really know what you're talking about when it comes uh, to it's the John a victim Jay study and a survivor. of criminal justice. It's not my system. It's not in my opinion. Take a look at the social science data. Well, I never said that most homosexuals are that way. No, you just said that they've cut I down on homosexuals. Yes, we want to get in. Sinead, go ahead quickly. What does post-pubescent post mean? Post-pubescent. Post-pubescent means beyond puberty. Okay? In other words, you're an adolescent, and that's what homosexuals do, and most of the molesters have been homosexuals okay, in the Catholic well, Church. So the, what, so the what, boys deserved it because they're post-pubescent. Now, if you want to take that conclusion, I think that's Sorry, scurrilous. Larry. I never said that. Why Larry. would you say that about homosexuals? Sorry, Larry. <laughs> yeah. Larry, what age does somebody become, uh, you know, post-pubescent in America as a matter of interest? What is the age? Uh, Larry? I, I don't know. Um, I, let's ask Bill. Is, he seems to be a guardian of post-pubescent. Okay, i tell you what, folks. years of age. Uh, can, you, can you believe that? This guy has the balls to come on national television and say, no, 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 the Catholic Church is a model for what works right. And besides, these kids were 12 or 13 already. They're post-pubescent. So if they molested him, that's not really pedophilia. That's your defense? 
Did you see the other panelists? They were a little like, when he first said it, they were a little stunned. Like, did he just say that? So, Bill, are you saying it's okay to have sex with 12 to 13-year-olds? Because, well, they're post-pubescent. So, I mean, what's a Catholic priest going to do? Of course, he's going to go to work on them, right? Uh, This guy doesn't give a damn about religion. He's just looking to figure out how to create controversy, make money for himself or whatever. I mean, what religious person would make that argument? That, that's crazy. Why is he making the argument, by the way, in case you missed it? He's like, no, 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 this isn't pedophilia. It's not the fault of Catholic priests who are committing pedophilia. No, these are homosexuals. And you see that the real problem is with the gays. And if we just took out all the gays from the church, well, then we'd be in great shape. Look, you've been trying that. Not for centuries, but for millennium. How's that worked out for you? Not well, has it? Hmm, weird. And but Bill, why do you think that that's the case? Do you think that the Catholic Church attracts more homosexuals? Is there something about the church that really goes really well with homosexuals? I don't know. I guess Bill will have to answer that. Columnist. His new memoir, Hitch 22, comes out in June. The man of letters himself, Christopher Hitchens, is right over here. Chris, Topher. I'm not worthy. <laughs> it's great to see you. Great to see you. Thank, Thank you for coming by. Now, it's, it's I, I know honor. what? It's an honor. All right. So, Chris, Topher. Christopher. I know. Um, I know people are putting me at my ease. Yes, I know people are saying right away because the Catholic Church is going through so much pain this week. Oh, Bill booked his atheist buddy Christopher Hitchens so they can gloat. Yes. So let's. And they were right. Uh, (laughs) No, that's. We had you booked for a long time. No, because the last time you had me on, I warned them about all this, and I said, in my earlier book, I said. Nothing good can come of a church which has as its slogan, leave no childs behind. <laughs> and, then they went, and then they went and chose as Pope the man who was personally responsible in his diocese and institutionally responsible for the cover-up. So now th- there's no escape for them. But honestly, anybody who became Pope had been a cardinal at some point, had been an archbishop at some point, wouldn't they have had the same problem? They probably were in some diocese where some cover-up went on. I mean, what we're finding out this week is that this problem of molestation wasn't just an American problem, that's what they first said. It's a worldwide problem. True, but the last pope, um, I'm not not a Roman Catholic, but the last pope was a man of honor in some respects. I agree, John Paul, yeah. And um, for all I know, there were terrible things <clears throat> in his diocese, but it's never been said that it was drawn to his attention and he moved the guy 
to be in range of further children. Right. That's what is said about the Pope in his own diocese in Munich. And then now we hear yesterday that the... Well, he was Polish. It's, it's, almost, was disgu it's almost disgusting to even say, but the, the people who ran a school for the deaf in right. Wisconsin invite the little deaf children into the, into the confessional and then molest them. And people were complaining directly to the office that was run by Ratzinger at that point. And he met it with a cold silence. The only worry he had was, would this damage the church? Would it hurt the church, not the children? <clears throat> um, and they repeatedly refused uh, but, to but, act. Now, what I want to know is this. What is the Attorney General of the state of Wisconsin now going to do? Are we going to say these people are above our law? I appeal to people. I mean, that's what's being asked for. That really if, you're, if you're a clergyman, you are, you're not liable to the laws on, don't let's call it child abuse, it's the rape and torture of children. It, it, yes, and, and you know, it's funny because in this society especially, the worst thing anybody can ever do in the eyes of not just the law, but public opinion, even in prisons, even in prisons, yeah. there is a hierarchy of crimes. The child molesters are the ones who even hardened criminals yes. shun or actually kill. So suppose you and I are having a martini. It's thinkable. Suppose. It's thinkable. <laughs> and you say, you say to me, Hitch, have been in trouble with the law? And I say, well, and I ask you, and you say, well, there was that thing with the joint, there was that thing at the traffic lights, there was that time I was really short of money and, you know, the Bank of Santa Monica and, uh, you know, and I think, okay, all right, and we're all human. But if you say, and I had some friends once who had two little boys and they trusted me as a babysitter, and I'm like, boy, I had a lot of fun with those kids. Yeah. You want to have lunch next Friday? No, I don't. Right. And you get the OJ tree. Of the one crime that no one can think about without vomiting, that's the one that the great moral church wants. So wiggle room for. So we can't allow that, I don't think. Since there's nobody here who will... <laughs> since there's nobody here who will take the opposite, you know, point of view, the pro-child molestation <laughs> point of view. No, but I mean, Catholics, I know, what, I know what Catholics say, because I hear them and you probably hear them too, which is, you know, it's a small percentage, you can't tar the whole institution. What, what do you say to that? Well, what, what is the answer? I say that it is actually quite a large percentage, but it, it could be smaller. But the thing is that they're covered up for. I mean, the man who ran the school for the torture and rape of deaf children in Wisconsin was allowed to walk free and to be buried with full honors as a priest. Right. Even if there's only one of him, they thought their job when the complaint came up was to protect him, not the children. That tells you everything. Furthermore, this uh, present pope, Mr. Ratzinger, is the head of a state, a political state, the Vatican, yeah. as well as of a church. So it's not just that the, the spiritual leader of a big cult is a proven protector of child molesters, but the head of a government is, with, with, has an embassy in Washington. Well, can he land here? from now on? Shouldn't Congress become seized of the matter? Shouldn't the European Union be asking, can this guy travel freely? Isn't he wanted for the foulest crime of all? These are questions I promise you are going to carry on being asked. They're not, now they've appointed as their head someone who's guilty of this. Well, that was There'll my, be no end to it. My next I question, do you, I mean, you and I have been knocking on this door about atheism for a long time. Do yeah. you think this latest round, and it is the front page of every paper of the last two weeks, do you think this is a tipping point in how people were going to look at the church and religion in general? Well, lots of people of conscience have already left the church, and many more are going to. Right. And I hope many more will. Yes, that, that will happen. But then we want justice. 
Uh, no one, no one's gone to jail for this. I mean, the, the Pope, uh, when he did his letter to the Irish at the weekend, you probably saw, everyone reported saying, strange he didn't call for anyone to resign or anyone to be arrested. He only expressed regret. Um, well, if he called for anyone to be arrested or anyone to resign, he'd be, in, he'd be starting his own impeachment process. Right. Because the reasons they'd there, have there, to quit would be the same reasons he has to quit. There, there is a Watergate-like aspect to this, yes. isn't there? That it's the fish rots in the head. It's sort of moving up toward that, except that this, as you say, is a state unto itself. It's not like Watergate, where the government is accountable. Well, the, the clerical bit of it is, but the Vatican City bit of it is not. Right. He's still a civilian when he travels, and we don't have to put up with this kind of thing. And what, what would you say? And they say, remember, it's doctrinal. You can't just say, well, there's a few bad apples in every barrel. This kind of thing won't do. They chose him as the vicar of Christ on earth. It's doctrinal for them. He has the keys of Peter. And one of the people who voted for him was Cardinal Bernard Law, <coughs> who fled Massachusetts because right. the atmosphere was too warm for him. He couldn't stand the jurisdiction. And he was given refuge in Vatican City by the, by the Pope and allowed to vote in the election of the next pope. All right. He's a wanted man. Now, is the Vatican going to be a pirate state that gives refuge to pederasts and, and, and molesters and rapists? It's, they've, they've opted to make us ask this question. Thanks for listening, everyone. I just have a quick update on a few things. I um, want to thank everyone who's been voting over at Podcast Alley. We're currently uh, hanging in there at number four this month, which is excellent. Uh, so huge thanks to everyone who's voted. Don't get complacent, though. You know, I, if, if you think, well, okay, it's taken care of for the month and I don't have to vote, then uh, that will be wiped away very, very quickly. So definitely know, you know, we still need the votes to keep, keep coming in to, uh, to maintain that place anywhere on the top 10 list, much less in the top fives, would be excellent if, uh, if you want to chip in your vote. It takes about 30 seconds and, uh, and keep us up as high as we can possibly be. Second of all, if you are hearing me say this before April 11th, head over to vote.streamies.org and continue to support the Young Turks. You can vote there every day, have your vote counted every day between now and April 11th. They're up for a audience choice award for the streamies, which is a pretty big deal. Like, you know, celebrities show up and like, you know, it's a pretty big mainstream online awards program. So the the fact that they're nominated is a pretty big deal. And uh, if they won, that'd be great for progressive programming everywhere. Also wanted to follow up on the fundraising for the big liberal conferences coming up. Uh, so, you know, huge thanks to the, the people who have been uh, chipping in, you know, five or 10 bucks or, or whatever they can afford to, to help get me to, first of all, the America's Future Now conference, details at ourfuture.org, and then secondly, the Netroots Nation conference, details at netrootsnation.org. Uh, so, you know, and as I've been saying, you know, my first point is to encourage you to attend these conferences if you can, and then secondly, if you can help send me there, the, the purpose of that obviously would be uh, you know, I want to go soak up as much of what's happening and what's being said as I possibly can so that I can report back on the show. So these are the two big conferences, lots of big liberal activists and, and politicians gathering together and talking about what we're going to be doing as a movement for the next year. Hopefully that's, that's the idea anyways. 
So I certainly hope to be there, see what's going on. And, you know, if, if great things are said, I certainly hope to look into getting that audio to actually, you know, use in the show if, uh, if it seems appropriate. So at the moment, we've raised about 14% of the goal. And, uh, and I, you know, I'm just hoping to, to raise it by the middle of next month. So, so things are going well. Uh, you know, details on that, of course, are on the website. And there's just a little chip-in widget that you can click through to, to donate to that cause. And, and then it you know, tallies up everyone's donations right there so we know when we hit the goal. And now, just before I wrap up, I want to thank a couple of members, of course. And, uh, and today I have a couple of people who have uh, been sticking, sticking with the show for many months. So I wanted to uh, thank them and, and point out that they've uh, been with the show for a long time. Ava M. signed up way back on August 12th, and Mark T. signed up on September 15th. So both have just been chipping in their their membership donations every month and hopefully uh, thoroughly enjoying their bonus feed content and the knowledge that they're helping keep the show going, because they absolutely are. So that is about it for today. Please continue to support the show just by telling your friends about it. That's potentially the, the number one thing is just to keep growing the audience of the show. It makes a huge, huge difference to help spread the word online or just stay connected to the show. You can uh, join up and, and spread the word through Facebook or Twitter. We are on both, whichever you prefer. And then for more details on the show, you know, links to all the sources and all the music used in this and every episode, that's always going to be linked up in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far, far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you 10 times a month now, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Fine, fine, black and white, took apart a picture that wasn't right, on a shiny Hi, my name is Mike. Can I have your ears for a real short rant? This message is totally unsolicited. In fact, the only way you could be hearing my message right now is because Jay heard this very same recording and gave me a little space. So thanks, Jay. Hey, talk about penny-pinching in this economy. I've whittled down a normal middle-class existence to my current bare-bones income, and I do it on early Social Security retirement. That's 25% less than regular Social Security. $5 is a lot of money to me, but I consider it important enough to give those dollars to Jay every month to further his great program, the twice-weekly Best of the Left podcast. So if you could possibly squeeze a subscription into your budget, do it. Hey, if I can come up with a fiver every month, I think most people can. And if you can't, keep listening, do those free things that Jay asks you to do, and then subscribe when you can. Thanks.